I spent much of my boyhood in the in the woods behind our suburban tract house. My dog knew where I was, but my parents didn't. And that just came naturally. That was part of growing up. You are listening to podcast listeners for this episode we have the privilege of interviewing richard louv most famous as author of last child in the woods and really a prophet for the need for kids to get in touch with nature not just in very scripted ways but also in freeform play out in the wild um, whether that's their the woods behind their house or the the creek or the park in town he'll be speaking on february 28th 2018 in Philadelphia in support of the Tucani Tacony Frankfurt Watership Partnership. If you're listening to this before then and you're going to be in Philadelphia, please come check it out. You'll hear more details in the episode. If you're listening to this afterwards, this will still be a great interview. Please go ahead and listen, but just don't expect to go to the event. As always, please let us know what you think of the podcast. Please rate us and rate us highly on your podcast listening platform of choice. Please let your friends know about the podcast. Please send us an email. Let us know what you think or send us ideas at urbanwildlifecast at gmail.com. Again, urbanwildlifecast at gmail.com. Please hit us up on Twitter at herbwildlifecast, and please find us on Facebook. We did this interview as a three-way call with me, Richard, and Robin Irisari from TTF. And Robin starts off the interview. Enjoy. So my name is Robin Irizarry. I'm the Philadelphia Watershed Coordinator for the Tuckanee Tacony Frankfurt Watershed Partnership. The Tuckanee Tacony Frankfurt Watershed Partnership is an environmental nonprofit organization whose mission is to protect and restore the health and vitality of our 30 square mile watershed, the Tuckanee Tacony Frankfurt Watershed. It's a long name. We just typically go by TTF. I like to call it the creek so nice we named it thrice, but you know, if you recognize any one of those names, um, you know, people might associate with one more than the other. Our mission is to restore and protect the health and vitality of the Tuckanee Tacony Frankfurt Creek. We do that working with our upstream partners and municipalities in Montgomery County, as well as our partners in Philadelphia. Our work upstream looks a little different than the things we do downstream. Upstream in Montgomery County, we have a lot more of our surface creeks and tributaries and the headwaters still visible. So we do a lot of work to restore and protect those. We have a number of riparian buffers that we've built. We've been building over the years a number of green stormwater infrastructure projects. Um, so we've planted over a thousand trees and shrubs along some of our upstream creeks uh, through the help of uh, the William Penn Foundation and working with our upstream municipalities. Downstream in the city of Philadelphia, we work very closely with the Philadelphia Water Department uh, to conduct environmental education, our community outreach and uh, education programs that we do in the city are primarily based out of Tacony Creek Park. That's where our focus is really in uh, Philadelphia. It's the only surface creek portion of the watershed where you can actually get to and, and take people out to and really you know, connect people with their neighborhood creek. So we are thankful to be able to host Richard on February 28th when he joins us in Philadelphia to speak for us at the uh, Friends Center at 1501 Cherry Street in Philadelphia. And Richard will be giving a presentation entitled The Nature Rich Life, Nature Rich Cities, Homes, Schools, and More, and helping us understand ways that we can 
better connect with nature in our um, urban cities, in our homes, and in all facets of our life. I'm Richard Liu. I'm an author of uh, nine books working on the 10th one, and the last three have been about what I've called nature deficit disorder. I'm also the founding uh, found, uh, co-founder and the chairman emeritus of the Children and Nature Network, which is uh, a nonprofit that is helping build an international movement to connect kids to nature. I'll take that as a lead into my first question is, why do we need an organization or why do we need books? Why do we need an effort to try to, to connect kids to nature more? Uh, well, it doesn't come naturally anymore. The kind of childhood that many of the boomers had, uh, including me, we just took it for granted. Our parents told us, you know, go outside, come back in when the street lights come on. I spent much of my boyhood in the, in the woods behind our suburban tract house. My dog knew where I was, but my parents didn't. And that just came naturally. That was part of growing up. Uh, within the last three to four decades, that is increasingly rare. It's still present in some places, but it has all but disappeared. That kind of freedom, that kind of exposure to nature, and the kind of play, the free play in nature that many of us enjoyed has virtually disappeared. So, as I said, it doesn't come naturally. We can't take it for granted that future generations of children will care about nature, uh, will care about watersheds, if we do not uh, do more to connect them to both nature and to their sense of wonder. What do you say when people say, well, who cares? I mean, is, are, are kids really missing anything? Is there much harm? Is it a big deal if they don't end up with contact with nature the way that you're thinking of it? Uh, well, several ways to answer that question. One is, um, you know, I never claimed that, you know, in Last Child in the Woods, I didn't claim that kids with nature deficit disorder, you know, broke out in a rash. Nature deficit disorder is a phrase that describes the human alienation from nature and the price we pay for that. It's a metaphor. It's not a known medical diagnosis, even though maybe it should be. What I did do is point to the research that in 2005 finally started showing up that the people who study uh, childhood development had really ignored this issue. The people in education had really, for the most part, ignored the value of nature in education. The academics had ignored it. So in that year, in 2005, there were about 60 studies that showed that kids with the symptoms of attention deficit disorder, for one example, those symptoms decrease significantly with just a little bit of time in nature. And I'm not talking about going to Yosemite. A walk through urban trees in, a, in an urban park uh, can reduce the symptoms of attention deficit disorder in many children as young as five years old. Uh, there were quite a few other studies that were showing that, but at that point, there were only 60 studies that I could find in the world that either showed the deficit that was growing exponentially or the benefits. Today, the Children and Nature Network has a research library, and we've collected abstracts of the, the, the huge increase in research. It's now gone from 60 studies to well over 600 studies in you know, about a dozen years. And they're still coming in at 20 studies a month. Now that's compared to 60 studies total in 2005. And what these studies show is better cognitive functioning when kids learn outdoors, 
better physical health when they do natural play as opposed to organized sports or, you know, organized sports are good for kids, but the kind of natural play, the free form play appears to be better for reducing obesity and, and other health issues, but also psychological health, uh, depression, self-image for uh, kids with disabilities. It can vastly improve their self-confidence to spend more time in the natural world. Uh, so th this wide variety of research that now really shows how great nature is, not only for kids, but for adults. And you have to ask what happens when you take that away from this generation, from the next, from the next, if it increasingly disappears. I don't think Facebook's going to replace that. You touched on a little bit about, about, you know, it doesn't have to be Yosemite. You know, Robin works, you know, almost exclusively in an urban watershed. My co-host Tony and I, Tony actually runs a nature center in Philadelphia. I do this stuff more by hobby, but we've started this podcast about urban nature and urban wildlife. What have you seen or what do you know, whether it's coming through the research or what you've seen in how kids end up exposed to nature across you know, let's say a rural to urban kind of spectrum. I think everybody might guess, well, the, the urban kids might get the least, but then, you know, suburban kids could be in their houses all the time. I think kids that grow up in neighborhoods and are confined to those neighborhoods that are highly densely populated places, uh, I think that those kids have less chances to connect with nature, particularly, again, if they're con contained in those neighborhoods, if they never get a bus ride to a national park if their parents don't take them uh, to natural places. You know, it's obviously going to be a lot tougher for kids in, uh, say, North Philly than it would be in suburban Philadelphia. On the other hand, if you look at the, the suburbs and even affluent kids in the suburbs, they're spending much of their time indoors. It doesn't seem to necessarily have an economic determination uh, or geographic, but in terms of purely urban neighborhoods versus neighborhoods at least have some access. The kids with some access have more nature. But again, I'd, I'd repeat that that doesn't necessarily mean they're getting getting out more. Some of the interviews I did for Last Child were in Kansas City, outside of Kansas City, where I grew up in the suburbs. And as I mentioned, I, you know, I spent a lot of time in nature when I was a kid, uh, in those woods that were right behind the house, those words are gone today. But if you go to the new edge, the new suburban edge of Kansas City, where there are woods right next to the suburbs, uh, the kids are not out in those woods. Uh, so access is important, but it's not everything in terms of the connection to nature. I feel like a day doesn't go by when Robert isn't sending us a picture of some new contraption he's got attached to the, the cart that they use for watershed education. But Robin, talk a little bit about the kind of stuff that you do with sure. GTF to, to expose urban kids and get them involved in nature. As Richard mentioned, we are primarily working in uh, North Philadelphia and in and around Ciccone Creek Park, which is a 300-acre park in Philadelphia, part of Philadelphia's uh, Fairmount Park system. It's a very linear, very narrow stretch of park that runs through several you know, really dense neighborhoods, very diverse neighborhoods. Um, what we've found uh, to be really effective is to really bring those nature experiences into the community. So TTF hosts a number of bird walks and nature walks um, throughout the year. We have a full calendar of programs like that, uh, partnering with 
great folks like Audubon and um, lots of good people at the Alliance for Watershed Education, which we're proud members of through the William Penn Foundation. Um, the cart that Billy mentioned is our Ticone Creek Park Creekmobile, which was funded through the Joseph Robert Foundation and some of the work we do with the Alliance for Watershed Ed. It's essentially a big purple tricycle that we drive through the neighborhood and through Ticone Creek Park, and we can load that up with different activities and games uh, that we use to teach kids about the creek, the environment in general. So you fake we, them out by thinking they're going to get a popsicle. Oh, then... people think there's ice cream in it all the time. <laughs> it's, it's great. We ride it through the neighborhood. We've got a great little clown horn on the side of it. And we've been actively you know, brainstorming with some of the other centers in the Alliance, coming up with ways that we can come up with new and in, new and clever ways to get people's attention and get them interested in what's going on outside. So we know we have this in the park and we talk about the birds in the park. So we'll load it up with binoculars and, you know, kids can come on a bird walk and we've got binoculars and we can tell you all the birds that are running through there. All sorts of great games to connect people with the creek and, you know, with nature. You know, for us, our focus really is clean water. The focus is the creek. Philadelphia gets its drinking water from the Delaware and Schuylkill rivers, which, you know, this small creek is a tributary to the Delaware. And so... You know, it's really important that we maintain the health and integrity of these open spaces because the health of our drinking water really is very much in lockstep with the health of our open space. And, you know, there's no way to get people more excited about open space than having them out there and you know, helping them experience that. Yeah, and I think it's just as a general thing, I, I always like having that, having people sort of see something that they usually just cross over as a, a place they can actually spend time in. Richard, you know, that's a little bit about what TTF does. You've been researching this for a while and traveling around a lot and part of this network. Um, what are some other of your favorite urban nature efforts? Well, you mentioned the, you know, the nature center there in Philadelphia. Nature centers around the country are doing a lot more these days, as are other institutions, uh, children's museums. Uh, I just got back from San Jose where they dedicated a, a new outdoor play space in the children's museum. Libraries are becoming centers for bioregional awareness, as I like to call them. Uh, we call them natural libraries. These are libraries that decide to change the, the grounds around the library and create reading areas outside the library and to emphasize field guides and other uh, media about the, the particular nature of that particular bioregion, that neighborhood. Uh, they you know, provide meeting places for things like family nature clubs. Family nature clubs is, a, is another way that, uh, uh, that we're a way for parents to make sure their kids connect to nature. But these are multiple families that band together, that decide that they're going to create essentially a club where if it's 10 families, not all 10 families show up at the uh, park on Saturday. But if you want to go to the park with your kids, but you're afraid, as many parents are, stranger danger and everything else that parents seem to be afraid of, you can put the word out and say, my, I want to take my kids at the park. Any other families want to join us? And, and you meet at the park on Saturday and you do it together in number. There's perceived safety in numbers, for instance. There are hundreds of these family nature clubs all over the country now. Many of them have hundreds of families as members within each club. In San Diego, where I'm from, the um, family nature club here, which just started about four years ago, has over 1,800 families in it. 
so these are spreading very quickly and they're contagious and you don't have to be uh, have a special license from an organization to do it. You just download a free toolkit from the Children and Nature Network, which is childrenandnature.org, and start your own. And I'd like to see family nature clubs throughout Philadelphia. Again, there's there's no economic uh, barrier to this in the sense that any kind of neighborhood, people can create these family nature clubs. And not only to you know take them outside of the city, but to, you know, as, as you were talking about, to explore the nature within the urban neighborhood. I feel remiss if I don't hype something that Tony um, helped create. Our co-host is not on this call, but he's part of an effort called Bird Philly, which is a partnership between the park system and the Ornithological Club. And now they've got, I forget how many libraries it is, Robin, you might know, but where they have backpacks that kids can check out that have like a bird guide, binoculars, it's sort of libraries as bases for then um, nature exploration of the neighborhoods. One thing I'm, I'm really interested in learning more about the, the, the uh, watershed efforts that you're doing there. I think that watersheds are highly underrated and people don't, really don't understand them. Watersheds are the arteries and veins that they're, they're in essence the lungs of a bioregion. Uh, in San Diego, we have canyons throughout the region, and all kinds of wild animals come right into the center of the city. I bet there are coyotes in Philadelphia. There is a, a program that works here. It used to be called Aquatic Adventures. Now it's called, in, I can't remember, I'm blanking on their name now. But they specialized in introducing kids to the ocean, at the, at the edge of the ocean, obviously, at the shore. I encourage them to think about the city itself, about the watershed that leads to the ocean. And last year, they opened a, a very large and, and, and fancy nature center in one of the or at the edge of one of the canyons in the inner city of San Diego. Uh, and again, the focus there was on the watershed. All water leads to the ocean, or not all water, but it's headed that way. And to understand the ocean, you need to understand. Uh, the watershed and vice versa. Uh, I think that's a great uh, idea that, that they did. The other thing I wanted to add is I'm working on a, a new book about the relationship between humans and other animals. And one of the things that's happening, and I'll bet you it's happening in, in Philadelphia, is that animals that didn't used to be seen in cities are showing up. Raccoons and uh, coyotes and uh, even in some cases bears uh, are moving into cities. And some people think that's a threat. I think it's great. I think it's a great opportunity. And uh, uh, because kids really connect to animals. So if we want to get more kids outdoors, particularly in the urban neighborhoods, to let them know about the animals that are around them and to place more emphasis on going out with binoculars and going and, you know, setting up the nighttime cameras and all of that to pick up, you know, the animals moving through their yard. I think that that will galvanize many, many more kids if we place an emphasis or more emphasis on that than we have. We'll be at the uh, and the Friends Center in on fifteen oh one Cherry Street. So we'll be hosting Richard at our Nature Talk series, a brand new series that we're kicking off this year. He'll be presenting his lecture, "The Nature Rich Life: Nature Rich Cities, Homes, Schools, and More." And this will take place on Wednesday, February 28th at the Friends Center at 1501 Cherry Street, Philadelphia. 
from 6 p.m. to 8 p.m. Tickets are $50. Proceeds go towards TTF Watershed's outreach and education programs. All of the great stuff that we're working on in the city of Philadelphia and in Montgomery County to really help our communities connect with our creeks and understand the importance of our of clean water. Um, if you're interested in purchasing any of these tickets, you can go to ttfwatershed.org and check out our site. And you'll see a, a nice big banner of our Nature Talks program. You'll see Richard's photo there and um, be able to learn some more about him and be able to check out those tickets. Uh, I'll also mention that Richard's books are available to buy through the Open Book Bookstore, and um, that's in advance or also at the reception at the event. Richard, thank you very much for joining us. Great. Thanks. And look forward to meeting you.